Take your Bibles out and turn with me back to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The second part of the message we began last week out of chapter 3. Uh, looking today at this ministry we have. Would you stand for the reading of God's word please? Paul begins there in verse 1. He says, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God. We do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves but Jesus Christ as as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this hour in confession. As the Bible says, we are all like sheep that have gone astray. We've turned our own way. But we are grateful that the scripture says that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We're grateful for that promise in the word of God that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ we can have forgiveness of our sins. And so God, we come today, we acknowledge our sin and our guilt and our shortcomings. 
We acknowledge our need of your grace. And Lord, I pray that today that you would bring conviction to hearts. When your word intersects with our lives, we know that we are meant to adjust. And so I pray that you would lead us to do so. And God, challenge us. Help us to give an honest assessment of our lives. May we be committed to your ministry with that attitude of John the Baptist that I must decrease and he must increase. Lord, I pray that you would be pleased today to use the preaching of your word to stir faith and repentance. God, I pray that there would be no moving around. I pray that there would be full attention to your word and a hunger for the things of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. After just three months in college, a young lady wrote home to her parents. And in her letter, she said, Dear Mom and Dad, please forgive the fact that I have not written to you sooner. But all of my writing paper was destroyed when the dormitory was burned down by the demonstrators. But good news, I'm out of the hospital now. The doctors say my eyesight should be back to normal in about six months. The kind young man who rescued me from the fire offered to share his apartment with me until the dormitory is rebuilt. We are married now and hope to see you soon. Love, Judy. And then she added a postscript to the bottom of the letter. She said, please disregard the above practice in English composition. The dorm did not burn down. I've not been in the hospital. My eyes are fine, and I'm not married. In fact, I don't even have a boyfriend. But I did get a D in French and an F in algebra, and I just wanted you to see how much worse it could have been. (laughs) She wanted her parents to have the proper perspective. And folks, that's what Paul wants us to understand here. We need to have the proper perspective on life. You know, that's a problem that we have sometimes as believers. We have the wrong focus, we have the wrong perspective, and because of that, we pursue the wrong goals in life. Someone once said, beware of climbing the ladder only to learn at the end of life that your ladder was propped against the wrong wall. Now being new creatures in Christ, life is supposed to be different. After all, we are new in Christ and we have a new ministry that the Lord Jesus has blessed us with. And so Paul wants us to understand that for the believer, everything is supposed to change. Whereas at one time we viewed life only from the perspective of the flesh and the world around us, now we are to view life from God's perspective. 
God has given to us a new orientation. You see, as lost people, we lived upside down in an upside down world. But now as believers, we live right side up in an upside down world. The world hasn't changed, but you and I have. And with that new orientation comes a new life's purpose, a ministry. Every believer needs to see himself as a minister of Christ. Now that's not to say that this new life and ministry is easy because we still live in a fallen world. And added to that fact is the fact that we have an enemy, Satan. The Bible tells us that we are engaged in spiritual warfare. And so while we have this new life and while we have this ministry that God has given to us, we need to understand that there are some qualities, there are some characteristics that need to be present in our lives. Paul confesses that these new things were a part of his life now and so they likewise need to be a part of our life. Now I see five different qualities that he talks to us about that we need to possess. First of all, there is that quality of perseverance. Look again at verse 1. He says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Verse 1 says that we have a ministry. There's no question about it. As a Christian, you have been given a ministry. You've been blessed with a spiritual gift. And the Bible says you are to use your gift for the building up of the body of Christ. To be saved means that you are a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so whatever else your occupation might be, you need to see that the backdrop of everything in your life is to be a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul says, as those who have received mercy, we do not lose heart. Why has God chosen to save you and save me? Why didn't God pick somebody else? Now, we don't know the answer to all those questions, but at least we can say, thank God that he has chosen us. I'm so glad that God's mercy did not run out before it got to me. Never give up. Never, ever give up. You'll recall back in chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, Paul said you need to understand of the affliction that came to us while we were in Asia. He said it was so bad, in fact, we almost despaired even of life. And then later on in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, he's going to write, And far more labors and far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. I want you to imagine with me a moment serving Christ with all of the opposition and persecution that the Apostle Paul encountered. 
I kind of suspect that most of us would have probably thrown in the towel and given up. You know, sometimes today we can be quick to quit even if somebody just criticizes us in the least little bit. Well, Paul says he was beat to death on one occasion. He was thrown out of town and left for dead. But what did he do when he got back up? He went right back into that very town and he continued to preach the gospel. Now, folks, that's perseverance. How persevering are you? How persevering am I? And we need to understand here what he's saying about the motive behind perseverance. You see, a lot of times we base perseverance on how successful we are at whatever it is that we're doing or how much people like us. But Paul says that is the wrong foundation, that is the wrong basis of perseverance. The right basis, the biblical basis of of perseverance is the fact that we have been recipients of God's mercy. As recipients of God's mercy, we have this ministry and we do not give up. We persevere. This past Thursday evening, I began reading an awesome book by Al Mohler, The Conviction to Lead. It's a book on leadership. Now, Al Mohler, along with D.A. Carson, is probably the intellectual leader of evangelical Christianity today, at least in America. Among about 16 million Southern Baptists, it is widely recognized that when Al Mohler walks in the room, he's he's a seminary president at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, even the other presidents and the other professors recognize the fact that when Mohler walks in the room, he's the intellectual giant among us. Very sharp guy. But he recounts how 20 years ago, when he was just 33 years of age, he was elected to be the next president of Southern Seminary. And most Southern Baptists today have no direction, no no idea rather, of the direction the convention was going in at that time. I mean, we were in trouble. We were in deep trouble. If it hadn't been for the conservative resurgence, there is no telling what we would believe today. Students would leave their churches, they would go to our colleges and seminaries, and they were being taught that there was no such thing as hell. There's no such thing as the second coming of Jesus Christ. They were being taught that the Bible is just a book of myths and fables. If things had not turned around in the convention, we would have probably gone the direction of many mainline denominations today, some of which appear to believe very little. Well, back to Moeller a minute. A liberal faction had come into the seminary, and Al was elected as president to come in and take the seminary back to its founding roots and to their abstract of principles, as they call it. He talks about how in the early days of his presidency, since the seminary faculty and student body had largely gone the direction they had, he encountered huge opposition. There were protest marches on the campus. 
Students and professors were carrying coffins around the campus. One student spit on him as he was going to a press conference. The reporters were relentless in the way they were hounding him. He said he and his wife Mary could go to eat just about anywhere in Louisville, Kentucky. And they would get inside of a restaurant and all of a sudden they would start being heckled publicly by strangers that they didn't even know. He said probably the toughest thing they encountered though, his children at the time were just three and six years of age. And he said, unbelievably, my little children became the targets of hate and abuse. He said, on one occasion, I just went into the seminary president's home and I went in and shut the door and me and my wife sat down there in the floor of the family room and we just wept and we cried. We were almost ready to give up. We, we could not believe. We were told how bad it was going to be, but we had no idea. But he persevered. And 20 years later, He's one of the most respected evangelical leaders in America today. Perseverance. Paul is saying here, you and I need to understand that we've been given a ministry by the mercy of God. And in this ministry, you may face some hard times. You may face some persecution. You may face circumstances that you would never choose for yourself. But you need to understand that by God's grace and by God's mercy, God has saved you and he's placed you where you are and you need to carry on and not give up. Persevere. A second quality he wants us to understand is the quality of integrity. Look at verse 2. He says, but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. We're not not to compromise the Word of God. And we must never compromise our integrity. And so he says here that hidden things, that shameful things are to be repented of. In other words, a servant of God needs to have a clean life. There should be nothing of shame. There should be nothing of embarrassment. It harms the witness of the church if on the nightly news a minister's face pops up in a mugshot and he's been arrested or a businessman gets arrested and everybody knows that he's a deacon at such and such church. And so before you serve in any capacity, you need to ask yourself, is there some deep, dark secret in my life that if if it were to come to light and be exposed, I would bring reproach to my witness and the witness of the church? If there's something like that in your life, first of all, Just as a Christian man or a woman, you need to repent of that and get it right before God. But secondly of all, I would say certainly don't serve publicly until you do take care of that. Paul says here, not walking in craftiness. The ESV says, uh, not having any type of cunning nature about our life. 
Now there can be a dark, sinister tone to that word or it can just refer to not having the right motives. Sometimes people want to serve out of a desire to be popular. At Corinth, that was certainly a problem. There were people at Corinth that wanted to serve to get popularity out of it. Also, Paul mentioned back in chapter 2 that we're not to be peddlers of the Word of God. Some could want to serve out of financial motives, maybe for personal financial gain. But Paul points out here that there's nothing like that in his life. There's no craftiness, no cunning, no deceit in his life. In other words, what you saw is what you got. Now, some of the false teachers at the time would, would exploit people out of greed. Or they, were, they would entice people with words of flattery. So that people would then turn around and give them anything they wanted. Paul refused to do any of that in the name of Christ. His life was a life of integrity. I mentioned Daniel a couple of weeks ago, how in chapter 6 of the book of Daniel, Daniel's enemies were putting his life under a microscope. They didn't want this young Hebrew to be the leader over them. And so they were looking for something in his life that they could carry to the king and accuse him before the king. They put his life under a microscope. I mean, they held it up and they looked at his life from every imaginable angle and there was nothing in Daniel's life that they could find to accuse him by. Now folks, that's integrity. And Paul says that's how his life had been. And I want you to notice what he goes on to say about that. He says, neither did we adulterate the word of God. In other words, as servants of Christ, we've got to be true to the word of God. When we counsel with somebody, the question is not what do they want to hear, but the question is rather what does God's word say to them. Don't ever compromise the word of God. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, Timothy, the days will come that men will not endure sound doctrine. But they will accumulate around themselves teachers who will tickle their itching, itching ears and just tell them whatever it is that they want to hear. He says, Timothy, don't you do that though. You preach the word. You be instant in season and out of season. Now here in verses 3 and 4, Paul talks about the fact that sometimes the gospel is veiled. He said, but if our gospel is veiled, it's not because we've changed the word of God. It's not because we as servants have, have veiled it in any way. We've not adulterated the word of God. We've not done anything that would, that would uh, kind of bring a veil over the gospel. If our gospel is veiled, it is because Satan, the God of this world, has veiled the minds of the unbeliever that they not see uh, the glory of God in Christ and be saved. But that veil comes from Satan, not from us. 
We've been full of integrity with the Word of God. We've preached Christ and Christ crucified. We've been honest with you about what the Word of God says. We've not tried to cover it up in any way, but we've, we've expounded the Word of God. We've told you what it means, and we've told you the implications of your life. We've been honest with the Word of God. All these descriptions he gives in verses 2 to 4 have to do with integrity. Folks, we need to remember what Jesus said on one occasion, the analogy that he gave. Cautioning us what we do with his work and his word. He said rather than to lead somebody astray or to offend somebody, it would be better. If you hung a big old millstone that they would use in the grinding of grain, those millstones, some of them would weigh hundreds of pounds. One would sit on top of the other and they would turn different directions. The grain would be poured down through the middle. The grain would come out in little crevices and be crushed as those heavy millstones turned on one another. Jesus said it would be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and you to be cast in the deepest ocean than to offend or lead astray one of these little ones of mine. Be honest with the Word of God. Be a man of integrity with the Word of God. As you teach, as you serve, as you witness in your everyday life, be honest with the Word of God. Tell people the Word of God, the truth of God, because it's the good news. Integrity in your life. Integrity with how you handle the things of your own heart and integrity with how you handle God's Word. Integrity. A third quality, focus. Look at what he says in verses 5 and 6. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, folks, don't make ministry about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It is about Jesus Christ. Remember what the mother of James and John requested on one occasion. Lord, when you come into your kingdom, would you let one of my boys sit on your left and the other one sit on your right? In other words, would you grant them to have positions of prominence and glory in your future kingdom? She was asking Christ to share some of his glory. Problem is, God will not share his glory. And again, I refer back to 1 Corinthians 1 for those who wanted to chase after Paul. You remember what Paul said back then? He said, was Paul crucified for you? There was this faction in the church. Some of them were saying, oh, we want to we surround ourselves with Simon Peter. We want to be in the Simon Peter group. Others were saying, we like Apollos. We want to be in that group. Others were saying, we want to be in Paul's group. Paul says, no, 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 no. We're just men. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Absolutely not. It's to be all about Jesus Christ. After all, Christ is the one who said, If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. 
We need to have that attitude of John the Baptist who said, I must decrease, but he must increase. Paul plainly says right here, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. We need to keep that as our focus. A fourth quality, that of humility. Look at what he began saying in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Look down at how he closes that section in verse 15. For it is all for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people it may increase. Thanksgiving to the glory of God. He's pointing out here that human weakness serves a divine purpose. He says we have this treasure in earthenware vessels or as the ESV says in jars of clay. Now earthenware vessels were very common in ancient times. Everyday items were stored in them and transported in them. And so they were very common in everyday life. There was sometimes a great distinction made between the vessel itself and then what the vessel held inside. And Paul is saying that's how the gospel is. The gospel is a treasure. In fact, there's no greater treasure. Do you remember that story Jesus told in Matthew 13 about that servant out working in a field and he was digging and he uncovered this treasure and when he uncovered this treasure, all of a sudden he knew what it was he had there and so he covered it back up and he went and sold everything that he had so he could buy that field and possess that treasure. Out of joy, he sold everything that he had so he could have that treasure. The gospel is a treasure. The good news of Jesus Christ is a treasure. Folks, could there be any better news that the just died for the unjust that he might bring us to God? That is the greatest news on the face of the earth. That a Savior has come. It is a treasure. And as Paul points out here, it comes in earthenware vessels. Now, no doubt he's talking about our ministry, and I'll come back to that in a moment. But first of all, you know what I think of? I think of the life of Christ. The incarnation of Christ. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What a strange way to save the world, as the song says. But that's the way God determined things. Because Christ bore your sin and mine. He was fully divine and fully human. And as a man, he went to the cross. And on the cross, he died in your place and my place. He died as a substitute for me, taking all of God's wrath against my sin, that I might have life and forgiveness. Not only did he come in the flesh to do that, but also as the writer of Hebrews says, by coming in the flesh, now he stands before the right hand of God 
He sits there as our advocate, as our intercessor, and a sympathetic high priest because he came in the flesh. He is able to understand all of my weaknesses. But also, now the treasure continues to be communicated through earthenware vessels. That's me and you as well. As he's going to say in the next chapter, we are ambassadors for Christ. God chose us. He could have chosen angels to do his work. He could have given the great commission to angels, but he gave it to men and women. Why? Because people can identify with us. They can identify with us. By calling humanity earthenware vessels or jars of clay, there's the recognition that life is fragile. Christians can look at their weaknesses and they can be discouraged and think that they can't do anything for the Lord. I think of Moses who made excuses. But folks, we need to understand that God uses our human weakness to bring glory to himself. God doesn't erase human weakness. He uses it. And so as we carry out our ministry and carry out the Great Commission, we need to uh, make an honest assessment of ourselves. That doesn't mean that we need to be negative about ourselves. One little boy shared with his father that he didn't understand his math. He said, I've got a test tomorrow and I'm going to fail. His dad said, son, you need to be more positive than that. And the little boy said, okay, dad, I'm positive I'm going to fail. Sometimes in ministry, we are positive. We are positive that we're going to fail. But actually, again, as he's saying here, our weakness is an occasion for all the glory and all the honor to go to God. And it helps others to identify with us. People can identify with the transformation that God has done in us. And it gives them hope that God can do that transformation in them too. I think of the Gerasene demoniac that Jesus drove the demons out of. He was a man that lived among the tombs and nobody could get around him. And Jesus, Jesus delivered that man of demons. That man wanted to follow Jesus. Jesus said, no, I want you to go back to your people and testify to them the great things that God has done for you. You see, your life is going to be exhibit A of God's grace. Others can see God's grace in you, and it gives them hope. Folks, God is not looking for superstars. The world is looking for superstars. It, it, it amazes me how this society chases after stars, the famous people. I'll, I'll, I'll never figure that out, but there are some people today who want to know what the stars are eating. They want to know what they're wearing, what they're driving, where they go on vacation. They want to know every little move they make. Who cares? Who cares? But the world wants to know that and I guess that's why some of those magazines advertising all that stuff seem to, to, seem to fly off of the shelves. But God's not interested in that. He's looking for ordinary people, jars of clay, who will simply be faithful. 
And again, verse 7 gives the reason. The second part of verse 7 says, To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now Paul goes on to give some words here of what it means to be a clay pot. To be a clay pot with this treasure of the gospel in us. A clay pot who still lives in a fallen world. Look at these words that he uses. He says, first of all, we are afflicted in every way. Servants of Christ are sometimes afflicted for the sake of the gospel. The word refers to being under tremendous pressure. But I want you to notice he says, despite that pressure that's coming in, we are not crushed. Second word, perplexed. There's a play on words here. Paul was at a loss, but not at a total loss. He was at his wit's end. He felt like sometimes he was at a dead end. But there was always a way out that God provided. Persecuted, the word sometimes refers to being pursued or or hunted. Like sportsmen would hunt animals. Paul had many enemies and sometimes he felt like he was a hunted animal. But though he was hunted, he says, I was not forsaken. The Lord stood with me. And then the last word he uses here is struck down. Paul was knocked down but not knocked out. He suffered abuse at the hands of his enemies but he kept going for the Lord. And folks, he's saying all these things may be your experience and my experience too. Think about it this way. While sin, while human sin can disqualify you from leadership, human weakness does not disqualify you. Again, human weakness is an opportunity for God's strength to shine forth. And others are encouraged by your life. For example, a widow in the church through her testimony, other widows find encouragement to face their loneliness. Some couple in the church struggling with their marriage can hear uh, your testimony and, and that can be an encouragement to their marriage. Somebody in the church fighting cancer when another cancer patient tells about that peace that passes all understanding that they have, it gives you hope that God can give you peace too. When somebody with financial difficulties gives testimony of the provision of the Lord, It gives you encouragement that God is going to provide for your needs too. So in all of these examples, all of these examples of humility, Paul is saying it was true of me, it's going to be true of you, but don't discount all of that. Let it be used by God for His glory. Humility. And then lastly here, he talks about perspective. Verse 16 and following, he says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
He's saying, folks, we've got to have the right perspective about the flesh. One of the early church fathers, Chrysostom, said, men are nailed to the things of this life. Folks, that's the problem, isn't it? Sometimes we're too nailed to the things of this earth. We are riveted to the world. But the Bible says we're to have a new attitude, a new perspective. We're not to put our focus here. Paul didn't put his focus there. He had quite a resume he could have focused on. Circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee. But he said, all of these things that were gained to me, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He chose not to put his focus and perspective on the flesh. Now folks, I'm not saying the flesh doesn't matter. God created our bodies. We are to glorify God in our bodies. After all, our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not to be like the ancient Greek pagan philosophers who, who discounted the flesh altogether. No, no, no. We don't discount the body. We care for it. We yield it to God. For our members to be members unto righteousness. But while we give a biblical attention to the flesh, this flesh is not where our primary focus is. If it's our primary focus, you know what we're going to end up doing? We're going to end up despairing over the flesh. Paul says in verse 16, our outer self is wasting away. It's decaying. Can I get a witness? Just 50 years old, it amazes me some of the things I can't do now. I tell Brian, he has trouble understanding this, but back in my teenage and college years, I was a pretty good athlete. Now I get tired running to the kitchen. I heard about an old fellow that he and his wife were sitting in front of the fireplace rocking and he leaned over and he said, Honey, I'm proud of you. She said, Huh? He said, I'm proud of you. I I can't hear you. What? He said, I'm proud of you. She shouted back. Yeah, and I'm tired of you too. Some of you talk about my memory, how I don't forget names or anything. God bless me with that. But, but I find I'm beginning to lose some of that. I can go into a room, I can get up off the couch, go into a room, and I think, now, why in the world did I come in this room? That drives me nuts. Our bodies are decaying. A man went to his doctor and he said, I've got a problem, doc. I can't remember anything. I can't remember where I put my watch. Can't remember where I put my glasses. Can't remember where I put my teeth. And I can't remember where I'm supposed to be going. The doctor said, sir, how long have you had this problem? Huh? Say what, doc? I've got a problem. What problem? These bodies are decaying. Every year that we live is a testimony of what James says in James 4, that life is just a vapor. And it is amazing how quickly the years click off. Amazing. And the older you get, the faster those years seem to go. 
No wonder Moses said, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Paul is saying we don't focus on the flesh. If we were to put our perspective just on the flesh alone and what we can see and feel and touch, what would we naturally do? We would naturally grow discouraged. But the good news he offers here is while the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Every opportunity is an every day is an opportunity for the Christian to be conformed more and more to the image of Christ. And so every day for the believer, if he has the right perspective, can become sweeter than the day before. Aren't you glad of that? I love to hear older people in the church talk about this. They say, you know, Pastor, I sit around sometimes, talk to some of our seniors. They say, you know what? This world just doesn't hold the same attraction for us anymore. And they're longing to be on the other side. They've got more on the other side now than they have on this side. And they want to go home. I wish some of you in the church could have known King Klein. A little short man in physical stature, but a giant man in the faith. I used to love to hear King Klein pray. After he lost his wife, he would just cry. He said, Pastor, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. He just wanted to go home and see Jesus. And he wanted to see Audrey so bad. That perspective on things that are unseen. Paul says that's where our perspective is to be. Folks, we ought to have the perspective of the Apostle Paul when he said in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We're to have a new perspective when it comes to life in these bodies. Now look at what he says here about trials even. We can have a, light, uh, a new perspective about trials. He says in verse 17 here, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Look at what he says that he calls trials momentary and light. Let's take those words, light. They don't seem light when you're going through them, but they are in the bigger picture, right? If you were to walk up to Job and said, Job, after Job lost his health and his wife and his kids, Job, remember, everything you're going through on this side is light. Job might have punched you in the nose. But in the big picture, he would testify that it was light. Not only light, but also he says, momentary. Whatever you're going through right now, I know you might think it's just going to go on forever. Lord, will this ever pass? It is going to pass. New perspective on trials. And he puts things on the scale of life. He says, these trials, light and momentary, I consider, they're nothing to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed to us one day. It reminds me of Romans 8.18 where Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Boy, that's what Paul's saying. 
That's why I've prayed before, and some of you may not understand this. When you're praying for a lost person, Lord, whatever it takes to win him to the Lord, if it takes disease, if it takes bankruptcy, if it ta- whatever it takes to win him to the Lord, Lord, bring it into his life. You say, man, how could you pray that? You can pray that because whatever he goes through compared to hell if he misses heaven, whatever he has to go through that God has to use to get his attention won't be compared to an eternity without Christ. Paul says we're to look at things that are unseen. What is seen? The world around us is seen. Again, anything wrong with that? No, God created this world. It's the arena that God has us for right now to serve Him and bring Him glory. But some people, the here and now is all they're li- This is all they have. Don't you feel sorry for people that this present world is all they have? What must they think as they look at some of the modern day headlines? If this world is all they have. Don't focus on the earthly. You'll prioritize the wrong things. I think about that guy who said, God, just grant me one wish. And God granted him that one wish. He said, I want to see a newspaper of two years into the future. And boom, the next thing that happened. He had a newspaper. He was tickled to death. He was a successful businessman. And he, so he turned first to the stock reporting. And he, and he jotted down all the stocks that were flourishing. And all those that were tanking. He jotted down all the companies that, that were doing well. And all those that had failed. And he said, boy, this is going to make me a rich man. This is great. He was so happy that he could see two years into the future. He was closing the paper, and as he's closing the paper, his picture and his name caught his attention. He opened it back up, and it was the obituary page. And he found out that within two years, he was going to die of a massive heart attack. He wasn't even going to get to enjoy that wealth he thought he was going to make. Paul says, don't focus on the scene. It's temporary. It's fleeting. Focus on the unseen. That's eternal. Jesus said, lay not treasures up for yourselves upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys. Where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your heart today? Do you have the right perspective? Persevere, live with integrity, focus, humility, and perspective. You're a Christian, you're, if you're a Christian, you're a servant of God. You've got a ministry. You're heading for glory. But you live in a fallen world. And your flesh is decaying. So persevere. Live with integrity. The right focus. 
Acknowledge your humility and weaknesses that God can be glorified in that. And perspective, focus on the things unseen. Would you bow in prayer with me this morning? This morning, where is your focus? What is your perspective? Are you of the opinion that nothing matters more than your flesh, the here and now? What matters to you is the name you make for yourself or the accomplishments you can achieve or the money you can make or the toys you can accumulate. Jesus is not against accomplishments. In fact, we need more Christians striving for excellence in whatever they do. But let your focus be on Christ. What's your perspective on trials? Maybe you hate trial. Maybe you despise anything that interrupts your comfort. But God might have you going through a trial right now to try to teach you something. What's the lesson that He wants to teach you in that trial? Do you need to persevere? Maybe in your Christian life recently, you've not gotten much support or encouragement. Maybe you're facing opposition at work. Maybe you're almost ready to give up on ministry. Don't quit. Remember, it's based on God's mercy. Simply because you've received mercy should propel you forward. Lastly, is there anything hidden in your life? Anything hidden that if it came to light, your testimony would be corrupted. You'd be ashamed. There's no time like the present to deal with that. Father, remind us as believers that we have a ministry. You have called us to live for higher things than this world is able to offer us. We're still in this world, but we're not to be of this world. God, these qualities that were so important in Paul's mind to have, may they be true in my life and in the lives of everybody here this morning. I pray for that one who is discouraged that you would encourage them. I pray for that one who needs to desperately deal with something in his life that you would press upon his heart the urgency to do so. Lord, I especially pray for the unbeliever that you would use the preaching and reading of your word this morning to draw them to Christ right now. Lord, may we all be busy about this ministry that we have because the fields are white under harvest. In Jesus' name we pray.